guys, this is another episode of Vertical Momentum. My name is Richard Kaufman, your host, also known as the Comeback Coach. Guys, this episode is going to be different than anything you've ever heard on my show before. This is going to be emotional. Um, it's been very emotional for me the last 48 hours. Um, uh, this is the first episode I've ever had where I, I couldn't sleep the night before. And uh, so I just want to introduce my friend, Brendan. Uh, we've known each other, I'm guessing, since at least 99, 2000, somewhere around there. Yeah. And uh, he, he's been a, a brother to me. He knew me when I was a shitbag. <laughs> you know, when I was, when I just got busted from E4 to E1. Um, and they were about to throw me out. And then he knew me when I got promoted to E5 and one soldier of the year. So he knew the whole gamut. And he also knows that when we got deployed in 2003, um, my own company, Charlie Company, Cobras, they didn't want me. So they sent me to Bravo Company because they knew I was such a piece of shit. They thought I was going to get that. <laughs> and that has really stuck with me over the last 20 years. So... <laughs> We're, you know, understandably, know, you know, I don't know where this is going to go and it's OK. Um, I'm all right with that, you know, because it's just two brothers catching up and talking about, you know, keeping it real, uh, you know, and the stuff. You, so how are you doing, my brother? I am doing outstanding. I am so glad to be here and truly honored that you would even consider having me on as a guest. Oh, please. You know, you know me. I'm just. And I'm a sucker for old, old friendship. And I'm still trying to find that DVD. I, I'm still looking for where I was. You videotaped me ironing clothes. Oh, are you kidding? Let me tell you something, my friend. I'm so glad you mentioned that. I happen to have a box full of AT, the movie 2006, uh, available now. Oh, I got to get a copy. I. It's on the way. It is on the way. <laughs> you you uh i mean it's the least i could do you probably uh are one of the, the biggest stars to come out of it um you had uh, uh several intensive scenes in there uh really carried the movie and, and you know <laughs> and you know and i think back um you know like one of the guys that even though I, you know i knew i was a shitbag when i was you know i kept getting busted uh, Sergeant Shepard always uh, took me under his wing and taught me how to be an NCO. And, and, and now I'm, you know, people that we were together with are gone, you know, like Shep and, um, you know, uh, Alvin, you know, and, you know, and I think of Dudley, Dudley. Yeah. You know, and I keep thinking about that and I'm like, wow, you know, how important short life really is so like i said guys i don't know where this conversation go but it's gonna be all over the gamut and that's okay because it's my show that's right to do. <laughs> so, you know so tell us a little bit you know about you where are you from where were you born and raised and what kind of little boy was brendan oh geez that's a i told you we're gonna get in the way back machine well <laughs> let's unpack that one so uh i was born uh portland maine and uh, my parents uh, divorced when I was about uh, 
eight. And when I was 12, uh, my mother moved us, my brother and I, to Rockingham, North Carolina. Um, so very interesting, a lot of things just in that in general. Um, you know, I in Maine, uh, as you can imagine, there's very different um, school curriculum and uh, a little bit better funded. And I was considered an average student, maybe. Um, I showed up in Rockingham and I was instantly uh, on the academically gifted list. <laughs> so I knew I knew something to, was up. Are we talking to the same guy? Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> that your brother? So, <laughs> well, and. You know, similar story there, too. And but the funniest thing was, uh, you know, more than anything in school as a 12 year old, it was the language barrier uh, speaking uh, Maine, going from Maine to uh, Rockingham, North Carolina, home of the rock, uh, Winston Cup favorite. Um, you know, there's a different I lingo. NASCAR Heat Five last night. So, <laughs> uh, exactly. You know, and I, so, you know, I came down saying things like oil and you all and uh, uh, crayfish. And I had to learn about all y'all and crawdads. Uh, <laughs> so, but ultimately, um, you know, I think all around I was a good kid. Uh, being initially raised in Maine, there was nothing to do but go in the woods and uh, not a lot of trouble to get into as a youngster. And, you know, when I came to North Carolina, um, I missed Maine. I missed my friends and I missed the woods. So I joined the Boy Scouts and, uh, I was uh, that guy. Um, <laughs> now, what kind of high school student were you? Um, honestly, uh, by the time I got to high school, I realized that I had already spent enough time in Rockingham and I had to do whatever it took to get out of there. Uh, because at the time, I mean, not not to, to hate, but, you know, the major employment opportunities were the Purdue plant. Or, uh, you know, whenever the cup race would roll into town. Uh, in between that, there's not a whole lot else to do there. Um, and I knew uh, I was grasping at any straw I could get to get out. Uh, so I studied very hard. I um, had straight A's. I had a weighted 4.6 GPA coming into my junior year. Um, and, uh, I was very active. Um, that being said, uh, my, my junior year, I got early acceptance to the Citadel and I also enlisted in the national guard, North Carolina. Um, all right. So hold on. Let's, let's, let's hop on, <laughs> you know, cause I love everybody's recruiting story. So talk to me about the, the day you walked into the National Guard recruiting office. 
And you knowing you had such – if you were scoring that high and you had such a high GT, tell us about that. Well, that that was very interesting because at that point in my life, uh, the only job for me at all was a uh, Navy Top Gun pilot. That's what I was going to do. Um, second choice, uh, you know, I was going to go Air Force and be an A-10 pilot. Um, the Army was not even on my radar at that time. Um, however, you know, it was the Clinton years and, uh, there were, no one's getting waivers during that time and I'm blind. And so the, you know, the Navy, Navy sent me crying and then the Air Force said, uh, take a walk. And luckily, you know, my local National Guard recruiter was there to put his arm around me and say, hey, buddy, you know, I got something for you. Um, let me tell you about the uh, combat engineers. <laughs> but then when you took the ASVAB, you must have blew it away, right? Uh, I did. Um, I was, you know, mid 90s. Um, I could have done anything, uh, basically. But uh, for me, you know, I'd watched, I'd also grown up in a military household and. I'd seen all the movies and, you know, if I was going to be on the ground, I was going to be a grunt. That was my outlook at the time. I was not the most, I was very intelligent. I wasn't very bright. <laughs> you know, and I get that, you know, like there's a, a lot of people that are book smart, but don't have any street smart. And then there's certain people that have book smart and street smart. And those are the lethal ones, you know, those are the, exactly those are the guys that you want in your foxhole, you know, exactly. And I learned quickly, you know, that I had to pick up the street smarts and the army is great for, for teaching you that. So you joined the uh, North Carolina National Guard. So how, I, how the hell did you end up in South Carolina <laughs> and, and of all places, Conway? Now, I love Conway because now my boy is actually going to uh, Coastal Carolina. He's a Coastal Carolina student. So I, I've always loved Conway. I always consider it my home. And when they closed the, the armory, it kind of just crushed my heart. So how did you get involved in the Conway National Guard? So um, I, I enlisted. I signed my papers, went to MAPS, and I was off to Fort Leonard Wood to become a combat engineer. And then at the last minute, well, they didn't have any slots at engineer school. So if I wanted to keep my bonus, I could choose um, tanks. And that was it. Uh, basically, they're like, uh, you know, just just go to Knox and you'll, you'll do your eight weeks. And... Um, and when you come back, we'll, we'll send you to uh, engineer school and, and, you know, basics, basic, whatever. Uh, they didn't mention the whole OSIT thing uh, or 16 straight weeks of basic. <laughs> Wait, are, you, are you telling me that a recruiter left something out? I uh, well, you know, geez, guy, uh, 
I think, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> he had a quota. Okay. <laughs> and uh, so I said, fine, I'll take, give me my bonus. And I went to Knox. And after you finally get around to the FTX phase and you finally fire that main gun for the first time, uh, there was no way I was going back to being an engineer. Like, that I was a tanker. I got my boots. That's it. I'm MOSQ'd. Um, and so I actually uh, was placed in a tank unit based in Southern Pines. Our tanks were at Fort Bragg. And uh, as I mentioned, I also applied to the Citadel and I was accepted. Uh, so when you're at the Citadel, the only job you're allowed to have is the National Guard. Um, so I transferred uh, to the only tank unit that was available at the time. And well, actually, I was originally transferred to Myrtle Beach. Uh, but by the time uh, my freshman year was over, uh, they had already moved to Conway. You know, I think that's where we first met was in um myrtle beach you know with art satley which mm. and the funny thing is my i was trying to think the first time i met you and i think we were going to grab something for lunch and i got in your beat up car that you had that was full of clothes and you had this awful music on and i'm like what the fuck is, <laughs> is this am i gonna make it is he gonna kill me it, it, that was the first time I ever met you. And we were like pizos from that minute on. It's We were inseparable, you know? I think, honestly, that is the mark of a brilliant friendship. When it when you have a first moment like that, it's either going to be spectacular or horrible. Um, and, you know, I think we've stood the test of time. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> so, you know, now one thing I think that me and you had in common um, is – Oh, for, I could just speak for myself. And then you could just say yes or no. Um, I was a shit in the rear with the gear soldier. I sucked at being in the rear to being, you know, having the uniforms done, blah, blah, blah. But if you get me out in the field, get me hopping tanks. I can hop tanks seven days a week, 24 hours a day. And me and you, we formed a team, driver loader team that we just hopped from tank to tank to tank and never slept. Yes. But you put us in garrison and everything goes to shit. When we yes. So <laughs> is that, is, am I the only one that felt that? No, no. And I think honestly, that's the mark of a great troop. Um, you know, uh, just like there's all different types of smarts and there's all different types of people, there's all different types of troops. And, you know, there's definitely the guys that have got their airborne boots with the tips mirror polished. And, you know, their, their ribbon rack is, is completely square and level and plumb. And, you know, you get them on a range and, they're not so hot, you know, and then you got guys that uh, look like they just rolled out of a duffel bag, um, but they can get things done. And personally, you know, as far as my crew goes, I would rather have four of them. 
<laughs> you know, and like I was talking to an NFL great, we, I was just talking to him today, you know, that sometimes when you have a team, you can either give me, you know, 15 prima donnas or give me five dogs. And I want the dogs. You know, I want the guys that are going to, you know, go for every last inch. And you were the best loader ever, hands down. I raise my hands to you. You were <laughs> the almighty. Um, and I think that's what made us such a great team that, you know, people would just take us as a team and go from tank to tank to tank to tank. So now, you know, you get into South Carolina, you get into the, the National Guard. And you know, I remember there was times that you crashed at you crashed at the house so you didn't have to drive or sleep mm-hmm. in your car. Um, so what was that like, you know, having to s- drive down and sometimes sleep in your car? Just because some people don't realize how hard the National Guard is on a person's life because it's not full time, but it's not part time. It's a very crazy mixture. And sometimes it cre- it creates havoc on your personal life. So what was your life like? I mean, I couldn't agree with that statement more. It is a full-time commitment to a part-time job um, by, you know, because the, the fact of the matter is, uh, you know, especially in today's climate, we see it every day. You know, you're, you're no longer just a National Guardsman. You could get called up at a moment's notice and you're expected to have your shit in order and be deployed within, you know, 30 to 60 days. You know, you're going to all your affairs. Here's your plane ticket. Good luck. God bless. Uh, You know, support our troops. See you later. Um, And it definitely, definitely plays havoc on the personal life. I can remember the very first time. I mean, as I mentioned before, you know, growing up in Rockingham, I mean, whatever is going to come there. So. For instance, you know, with the year we went to NTC, you know, that was the first time that Metallica ever played in Rockingham. Uh, uh, my favorite band was playing in my in my uh, hometown, and I was at NTC. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, and and not only that too, but I mean, when you're getting ready to go for your uh, two week, three week, four week, whatever annual training is that year you know, there's the prep time, you know, you got to do your PCCs, your PCIs, your pre-combat checks, pre-combat inspections. You got to make sure your gear serviceable. You got to make sure, um, you know, everything is tip top, ready to go. And, um, it, it's hard for employers to understand that. And it's hard for even personal relationships to understand that because, Everybody sees the advertisement about, you know, part-time, serve your country part-time, get full-time benefits. And, you know, and then you go to tell your boss, you know, hey, man, uh, I I need four weeks off because we're going to do gunnery at Knox this year. And they say, well, the commercial says two weeks a year. So what's the other two weeks for? And you're like, well, I mean, that's just what the orders say. And, you know, and then you get a problem with, with your job. You can. Um, a lot of employers support and uh, do what they can to work with you. But then, you know, there's a lot of employers that, you know, you're just another number. And the minute, you know, you can't show up for work because you got a three-day drill and you can't come to work on Friday. 
Yeah. Uh, well, you're gone. You know, a lot of times then you'll have a back to back drill. So, mm-hmm. you know, yep. but then usually like if there's a wedding, it's going to fall on that drill weekend. Oh yeah. You Always. Know? And you know, back then I knew you were in a relationship and you had a couple dogs and, um, and I know that was rocky and that was hard on you. You went through a lot of stuff with that relationship and then trying to deal with this military crap. So 2003, we get deployed. Where did you go? <laughs> Good old relaxing Jackson. And we were up there together. And I think that's where <laughs> I, I made my bones. You know, I think that, right. you know, they sent me to Bravo company, which, it, you know, it's kind of like every time you hear Tom Brady, you know, he always talks about being picked 199th. You know, that's <laughs> this is what pisses me off that I know I got traded to Bravo company because they knew <laughs> I was going to be a shit bag and I was probably going to get chaptered out. <laughs> actually flourished over there under uh, Sergeant Major Cheatham, you know. Exactly. And so, okay, so what was it like uh, up up in Jackson? We'll just go over that for a second. Then we'll get back to being deployed a second time to Afghanistan. What was your uh, first deployment, you know, stateside deployment like? Um, You know, it was not at all what I expected. Uh if you remember back then, uh, it was um, in September of 2003, we got the warning order that Operation Palmetto Squirrel was about to kick off. And we had no knowledge of where we were going or what we were going to do other than uh, we had two weeks to uh, report to the armory to then uh report to Fort Stewart to mobilize to wherever we were gonna go. Um and uh you know we went through uh, an intensive train up, you know, ECP uh access control points, um, you know, and it's September and I'm thinking we gotta be going overseas. You know, OEF three is coming up. Uh, that's us, you know, we're getting ready to go to the big show. <laughs> and, uh, then literally, uh, like two days, uh, before we go, they said, okay, well, you know, you guys are going to Jackson, you guys are going to Stewart, you guys are going to, you know, um, uh, uh, Gordon, uh, have fun. And, and a lot of people, if people are listening to this that are not military, um, and I, I try not to curse on here. I, I try to be a good Christian, man, but sometimes it just <laughs> comes out um, because it's warranted. But when you're 20, 22 years old and you're signing your life away and having your, your parents or somebody become your power of attorney, that's a serious mind fuck. That's when you're like, okay, this shit just got real. And the pucker factor hits really hard because, you know, even though we knew, we're maybe just going to Jackson. We always sat around that TV thinking, okay, where are we going next? Cause this, this can't be it. You know, we knew we were uh, going for something else. So what was it like when you got up to Jackson? Um, another mind fuck. Um, honestly, uh, you know, it was, I'm glad you brought up Sergeant major Cheatham. That was my first time I ever encountered him. Um, I would love to talk more about him later. He is my hero so many ways, but, uh, uh, you know, it, 
it is complicated. You know, when you you train and you prepare and you know you get your mindset straight that you're about to get in something and you you get that you know preparing to go to war mentality and then you're released on the general public conus um it's quite a letdown quite a letdown um you know uh i thought that was going to be our one ticket to the big show um you know the motto is never surrendered but it seemed like we never deployed um and I was really disappointed. I remember uh, Grenier and I sitting in his room uh, in 2003 when, and we watched Third ID roll into Iraq in their tanks, and we drank a beer and cried, and we thought, you know, that that's our war, and we just missed it. Little, 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 little did we know. Now, uh, <laughs> you know, because I have a traumatic brain injury, if I don't say something, I'm going to forget it. So I'm going to talk about Sergeant Major Cheatham. And that's back when he was Daryl Cheatham. And that's he, right. E5 he, he always said, oh, I am the standard. And I, that always that's right. with me. But the first time I ever met him, I'm sitting in my room and I'm listening to NWA. And I'm, I'm singing all the lyrics and, and using the N word. And he just looked at me. He's like, I know you just didn't. I'm like, it's just music, Sarge. And from that day on, you know, me and him always had a great relationship. And if I ever needed anything, uh, he was one of the gentlemen. And like I said, he was from another company. The people that my own company, they didn't want me. But he took exactly. me under his wing and taught me what it was like to be an NCO. Well, and, and to, to go a little deeper into that, because um, as to how he showed you, uh, to, 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 to illustrate the kind of person that he is, uh, Darrow already had his war in 91. He was uh, in Cav in Desert Storm, got his combat patch, um, did the thing, got out. Uh, went to go work for the post office. You know, I, I'm, I really don't want to tell somebody else's story, but it's so amazing. You know, 9-11 happens. He re-enlists in the guard because it's what he believes in and it's what he wants to do. Um, and I remember when I first met him having the same kind of similar reaction, not knowing really how to take him. Uh, but... I soon realized that, you know, he, he wasn't just blowing smoke, you know, he, he was the standard. Uh, if you wanted to be the man, you got to beat the man. And he was the man PT tactics, gunnery. It didn't matter. You, you couldn't, you couldn't mess with him. He, he knew it. And he was only an E five at the time, but, you know, I mean, he ended up a command sergeant major. I mean, that's all you need to say right there. Yeah. Like I said, he made a big, you know, I don't even realize that the people that, you know, I told Shep before he passed, you know, how much he meant to me. And I don't think I've ever talked Sergeant Major Cheatham about this, but I think he was one of the ones that actually uh, made me become the NCO that I tried to be. And I, you know, I tried after when I did become an NCO, 
And I, I definitely tried to live that NCO creed. So what was it like, you know, coming back off it? Because I think we did 18 months or something. What was that like coming back off and then having to fit back into civilian life again? Well, um, you know, it, it was another difficulty uh, because, um, you know, after my my particular tour, I could only take 12 months and then I volunteered to go home. I couldn't take it anymore. Um, <laughs> you know, you're, you're trying to do a job and you're constantly being messed with your supervisors in the woods, smoking a cigarette, making sure you're, you're searching cars, you know, um, it constantly. And, you know, and you know that he's going to be listening to this because he's a friend of, he's a friend of mine on Facebook. So just, just, yeah. well, so. well, wait, no, before, let me make the correction. I'm, I am not referring to our commander, Captain McDaniel at the time, oh, okay. uh, who was a great man and a brilliant American. And I love him to death. I'm actually referring to the infamous major Reardon. Oh my God. The night stalker oh who would God. climb the fence at the ammo supply point just to sneak up behind you and try to catch you sleeping. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, now you just brought it back. Big memories. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, I mean, and that's it. You know, after after 12 months of dealing with somebody like that, I, I was done. And especially because, you know, the main the main drawback with the the guard is that a lot of people their only experience with active duty is what they saw in the movie and so they tend to make when your your deployment's more difficult than they need to be um you know they have a very idealized uh hollywood outlook of what we're supposed to do and it's not it doesn't really mesh with the actual active duty ethos and that actually causes its own problems and 12 months of that and i was done and um i i have a question for you go ahead I'll be like we'll talk about the first deployment then we'll talk about the second one but you know we're all hua hua you know we're all manly you know but we get kind of coddled because we get paid on the first and the 15th you know we're getting tricare we're getting bah baq you know we're getting 30 days paid leave vacation and like my friend Sergeant First Class Nick Valentine says, once you step off the base, military does not give give a shit about you. And you have to figure out, all right, what do I do now? Because now you get back from deployment, there's no job. If you have a relationship, it's probably fractured. So how did you go about transitioning back into the civilian life and trying to figure out, all right, what does Brendan do next? Well, I mean, to be 100% completely honest with you, um, that was a question that I continued to ask myself until only just recently. Um, and in 2003, I still didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. Um, you know, uh, I had a few menial jobs, um, you know, and I started going back to school. Um, and because basically after we, uh, 
were deployed to Jackson, then I could no longer be considered a dependent for tax purposes and I could apply, use the FAFSA without my parents' tax info. Uh, so and like, uh, like when we came back, I noticed, you know, because like I said, we were deployed to three different places. And when we came back, like before we left, we were like, um, we were a gang. You know, everybody in that unit was like, it was like a gang. It was all for one and one for all. And then when we came back, it was like three separate factions. Yes. And, you know, and now you're looking at who's who's trying to get ahead, who's trying yeah. to cover their own ass. And you're like, all right, I don't fit. I, you know, like people know me like when I first, you know, I was always that guy that, um, we were going to have a good time no matter what, no matter what detail, we're always going to laugh. We're always going to joke and have fun, you know, and, and, and there were people like Sergeant Shepard that were that way where, you know, no matter what we were doing together, he would make it fun. And it seemed like when we got back, it was three separate fractions and all of a sudden it became them versus us. Was I the only one that felt that? No, 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 not at all. Um, I definitely agreed with that. And especially the way that they did split the companies up um, so that when we did come back together as a quote unit, um, you know, we still were all oh, those, are the Gordon guys, that's the Jackson guys. Oh, that's the Stewart guys. Um, it, it took a while for us to kind of, to mesh back in. And I think a lot of that had to do honestly with, you know, the way things were handled while we were on active duty. Um, you know, they, there were some problems in the leadership and, uh, you know, that definitely caused rifts down the line, I think. Um, you know, and especially when you get into comparing like, say living conditions at the different posts or like, uh, you know, your commander or your, your shift. And it's like, oh, those guys had it easy or, you know, and it, it does, it has a tendency to fracture everything. And they, they really should have kept us uh, integrated. I mean, we were already a company and we're going to three places and there's three companies, you know, we already have routines. We already have, you know, uh, relationships established, uh, keep them together. Um, but yeah, there was definitely a big rift when we got back. So when was, when was the next, your next de deployment? The next deployment came up in 2006 and we got the warning order while we were at Knox, uh, during the filming of AT the movie. I, you know, <laughs> and, and I haven't thought about that until I looked so I was talking to somebody, I was talking, it was funny. It's like, you know, here I am a ninth grade dropout. You know, I get thrown out of the military once and here I am like yesterday, I'm talking to uh, Colonel five coats and he was the one that was in charge of all airborne and um, Ranger battalion or brigades. And I'm like, wait a minute, this, this same guy that was, you know, getting kicked out and, and gets traded because they know he's a piece of shit is actually sitting talking to Navy SEAL commanders and all these kind of people. And that's when I started thinking, 
I remember doing that ironing thing. <laughs> I'm like, and now my kids are, you know, I got two adult. I mean, well, one is 16 and one's 18. I can't wait to show them that to see, to you know, the, the, the army wasn't all just all, you know, hoo hoo. Sometimes we were really stupid. You know? Well, exactly. And that was the exact point that I was, I was going for in, in making that little documentary. Um, it, it started off as just, uh, you know, hey, let me get some cool Hua videos of like tank gunnery, and I'll I'll tape my camera on the on the turret, and uh, you know I'll I'll tape it up in in the turret and try to get some some loading shots, you know, and then as you know things unfolded as they always do at annual training, and the silliness began. I realized then, you know, hey, I've got a camera. Why not show all of our family back home what is going on? Because they they have no understanding. They have no reference as to what it's like. You know, yeah, we do gunnery 24-hour operations for a week, but we're gone for two. You know, that other week is so full of shenanigans uh, and malarkey that I was like, you know, Let's document this. Okay, now I, I have a question to ask, and I didn't think I was going to ask this because um, you said you have certain if you you have copies, right? Yes. Um, was there any way that people may be able to order it, and maybe if they pay a little money to be able to donate that money to a, a charity of your choosing? You know, I had not even thought about that, but you know that would be that would be an outstanding idea. Um, I still have all of the files and I've actually, you know, I had a problem when I I've initially made it um, with the rendering uh, and I had some thoughts, you know, a couple months ago about maybe digging out the old files and seeing if I couldn't uh, remaster it and uh, get some of the kinks out. Um, I'm just throwing it out there, you know, so maybe we can let people know what we're talking about, but also I'm able to, raise some money for some for some good charities you know for some something good that can come about it you know i i think that's a brilliant idea i'm 100 percent down okay uh we'll we'll work on that cool. offline so now it's 2006 we get the warning order what happens that's when uh that's when things got real um you know honestly uh, I was going to, my ETS was up, uh, November, 2011. And after September, I realized I had to re-enlist. Um, I had to, it was my duty. And, uh, after Knox, when we got the warning order, um, I had to sign another, uh, extension to go and I had zero, zero pause to do so. Um, it, I really felt it was my calling, um, something I'd trained my whole life to do and I felt I was ready and that. I wanted to test myself in the ultimate first person shooter. And uh, the 
on the other hand, I had also just kind of made peace with the world, um, reconciled my childhood and found myself in a good emotional place for the first time in my whole life, uh, was feeling love for everyone around me. And then I now have to go to war and potentially kill people. So there was a lot of mixed emotions at the time. Now, did they put you in a certain squad and everything beforehand or for the train up? Uh, they, they certainly did. Uh, when they called us out, um, they, they ended up having a, a, I think it was a Muta 5, a, a three-day Friday, Saturday, Sunday drill at McCready. And they called us out and had us form up our own formation in front of everybody. And they said, okay, these are your platoons and uh, uh, this is who you're going to war with. And when they did that, they did the exact same thing that they did uh, in 2003, which is um, each platoon consisted of a mix of all three companies and very few uh people there there was no platoon that was um wholly one company and on top of that and I'll, I'll say this um it's not pc and i people might hate me for saying it but i mean it was a joke within our platoon that we were the equal opportunity platoon um kind of like the same uh, feelings you had about being moved to Bravo company. Um, you know, there's five platoons of the sec four company. Um, and all of the platoons, four of the platoons were primarily white. And there's a few uh, dark green troops in there. Uh, third platoon we were all dark green. Um, basically, um, they took all the people uh, that were squad leader and above or team leader and above that were dark green and said, hey, we're going to make a platoon out of you guys. And whereas every other platoon was uh, mostly uh, light green with a sprinkling of, of uh, nice darkness, we were, we were very dark. And, you know, well, one thing I guess now you're bringing me back. You know, I remember standing in that formation and, um, you know, I volunteered three times and they kept kicking me back. And I'm watching the people that they're picking. I'm like, I know they're not picking that guy over me. I know that I know, I'm so much better of a soldier and a leader than he is. And it, I think my my heart broke that day when we had to go home and realize, you know, especially you, you know, you were going over there and I wasn't going to have your six that, you know, that was more important to me than anything is just, you know, to remember that I can't be there to have your six. And that really, you know, that broke me down. And I, it, I went through a lot of, a lot of stuff after that. So go ahead. I'm sorry. I just wanted to let you know that, you know, that, uh, you know, that's how, how I felt about you that I always wanted to have your six, no matter what. Well, you know, and I feel 100% the same way. And I know that if 
you know, if they had called your name out and, and we'd ended up in the same platoon, you know, it would have been a jolly deployment. But, you know, at the same time, when you start playing the what if game, you know, you never know what, what could have happened, you know, and you got to trust. That's one of those things that you really got to trust God's plan that, uh, you know, maybe you weren't supposed to go there so that you can be here to do this, you know? Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think the other thing that really needs to be mentioned here is, is not, is that your denial, I, I and I'm not totally hundred percent clear on all the facts there, but I seem to remember there being a, a diabetic coma involved. Yeah. I actually, I actually went into a diabetic coma at one point. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I bring that up just to, to clarify that it's not like, uh, you know, um, there was a lack of, of will on your part. You had issues that were not conducive to an austere deployment environment. Yeah. You can't regulate your sugar in the field, you know, in, in that field. Yeah. When you're gone for three weeks at a time, eating nothing but MREs, you know, something happens. What's going to happen? You yeah. know, and that's that is not your fault. Um, and I never held that. I, I never held anything against anybody who wasn't picked. Um. I did have some reservations about some people who were picked and then decided not to go. Um, but you know, that's, that's their truth. That's their life. That's something they have to live with. I knew I couldn't do that. Well, and, I got in a, a verbal altercation with somebody. I don't remember who it was, um, but it doesn't matter. And I was like, what do you mean you got picked and you didn't, you decided not to go. Mm. Like, you know, those are our guys. Mm-hmm. Those are people that have slept at our houses. Those are the people that we've been in their weddings and in some of their divorces. You know what I mean? <laughs> Those are the guys that you know we bled and we sweat, and and you decide that you don't want to go. You'd rather take a rear detachment job in the rear. Exactly, and I oh, think yeah, more more than anything, and you know there was we saw some of that in two thousand three, because like I said, nobody knew where they were going. So when we got called up, there was a lot of people that suddenly had an excuse why they couldn't go. And then when it turned out, oh, well, they're just going to to stateside. Well, oh, no, wait, no, I can do that. Uh, yeah, I'll do that. You know. Yeah. I... And and then you know on this one it was, you know, well I'm not going to go. It's like I. That's when you really find out who your brothers are. So what was the train up like? And then what was it when we first hit boots on ground? Well, because what I think, I think, you know, because um, this app will only allow us to do an hour at a time. So I think uh, we hit the hour mark. We'll just hang up and then we'll do a part two. That that'll work. I mean, that'll work time today. Always. Yeah. Okay. You know, I just want to make sure that because I want your full story to be told. And that's, you know, that's awesome. uh, Yeah. So now tell us about train up. So train up. Uh, we were uh, sent to Camp Shelby, Mississippi. And uh, again, we were called up in September. Um, and we met, we all met up at the Marion Armory. And uh, that's where we deployed from. 
and reported to uh, Camp Shelby, Mississippi. And, um, you know, right away, I could tell that we were going to have some problems there. Um, and just quick illustration, I would say probably 80% of our classes uh, began with the phrase, all right, guys, so when you get to Iraq, and, you know, I'd look around and everyone else is just kind of like, what the fuck? And, you know, me, I'm the guy. I raise my hand. And yes, you, specialist. Uh, Sarge, uh, quick question. Um, we're actually not going to Iraq. We're going to Afghanistan. You know? And they would just uh, kind of throw up their hands and be like, well, sh you know, man, uh I don't have anything for you. I've never been to Afghanistan, but uh, I'll tell you what. Go ahead and sign my sign-in sheet. Uh, I'll leave the slides up. Y'all can click through them if you want to, but uh, y'all have a good day. I'm done. And that was literally probably 80% of our classroom training. And unfortunately, you know, or fortunately, you know, you know that you're going into the shit. You know, it's not like we we're going back on the gates again. You know, this exactly. is going to be real world. This is going to be, you know, 7.62 whizzing by your head, literally, if not other things. And they're just treating this like it's like it's a game. Exactly. Um, and, you know, I will say that um, our our senior leadership did some really good things. Um, you know, they they were very sure to make sure we got a lot of trigger time. Um, they made sure we always had plenty of ammo. Um, they made sure that we were familiarized with our weapon systems. Um, and they did the best they could within the constraints of the environment that we were in. Now, I remember like when you were on my tank and, you know, you were my, my loader, um, you were the master with the 50 cal. If I had, you always had that thing running beautifully. So what was your weapon when you got chose? What was what what were you carrying? What was your um, weapon of choice? Well, initially during training, um, the I, I guess I kind of skipped a, a first kind of big step in the whole thing too, in mentioning that you know when we mobilize, we mobilize as an armor battalion or a, a combined arms battalion movement enhanced brigade whatever we were at the time tank we were tankers um and you know as a tank unit we have our own assets we've got our own transportation we've got our own mechanics and so when we mobilize they're like hey you're going to afghanistan we don't have tanks in afghanistan so now you're all infantry and they took everybody who is not already a 19 kilo or combat almost qualified sent them to a two week um, infantry training course at a, a, a Fort Jackson, I believe. And, um, you know, and then we got to Shelby and it was like, all right, infantry tactics are us. Uh, something completely different than, you know, we'd even covered in the AT a few months prior. We were doing tank gunnery and they knew we were going to a country with no tanks. So 
to say that they weren't taking it seriously, I, I don't know if I can say that, but there was definitely some some disconnects with reality uh, with the training. Um, I don't feel that we were provided adequate um, training um, uh, for the environment we were about to go into. Um, but I do feel that because we had people with us like Sergeant Cheatham and Lieutenant Broadway, who happened to be my platoon leader and platoon sergeant, uh, they definitely did the right thing and did the best they could. You know, Broadway would come into the barracks at night and start timing people like, hey, Mahaney, um, disassemble, reassemble, and function check your M4 right now. Go. And hit the stopwatch. You know, um, you know Cheatham. Lieutenant Broadway, um, I love uh, Gene Heineman. Um, and I just remember the good times that we had down at Savannah. All of them. Oh, yeah. And uh, so I always respected, you know, uh, Broadway. I thought he was a stand-up kind of guy. So go ahead. I'm sorry. No, you're fine. I I second that 100%. Uh, honestly, the best officer I ever served under. And when you put uh, Sergeant Major Cheatham in the mix, I mean, that's a powerful combo right there. Uh, that's going to make sure that regardless of whatever else happens, my men are going to be taken care of and stuff is going to get done, you know, and you need that. That's the most important thing. Um, and we were very fortunate to have that backbone. And even though we were the equal opportunity platoon, you know, we were discounted, you know, they, they were like, Oh, look at those guys. But you know, the jokes on them, because we had some of the best leadership, you know? Yeah. So then once the train up, um, you know, how long did you guys do your, do the, the train up? We reported in September and we left, we had a uh, terminal leave right before Christmas and, uh, we had two weeks where we could go home. And then once we returned from that two weeks, um, we had like, uh, another week or so to go and then we shipped out. All right. Um, I think this is going to be a perfect place to end this episode. We're going to do a part one and part two. So God, yes. if you're listening to this, uh, the first, the next episode is going to get real deep. Um, it's going to get real, real. Um, and so definitely check out part two. Um, and we're going to step where he actually steps off. The, the plane into Afghanistan and then we're going to let you know how it actually felt and from a from a real soldier's perspective perspective of going into battle so Brendan thank you so much for everything you do um, I can't wait for the next episode and I think people are going to be um, have they already have respect for you but I think they're going to have so much more respect for you after we tell your story all right brother uh awesome i appreciate it thanks for just having me i'm going to send you the the next request as soon as we hang off here awesome sounds great i'll be there okay